Hello, and um, I echo Daisy's thank you. It's fantastic to have you. And I, like I suspect many, many people on this call, are huge fans of your book. I read it, and I think we all fell in love, both with Shuggy and with Shuggy's tormented, wonderful, ambitious, clever, glorious mother, to whom I have to say I've taken a huge shine. Um, but this book for you, I mean, you you published it in lockdown, you won the booker in lockdown. I mean, it must have been, and it was 10 years in the making. I mean, it must have been a really very strange experience that you've had over the last few months. Yeah, I because it's my debut novel, Rosie, I have nothing necessarily to compare it to, but it's certainly been very strange. And in fact, after 10 years of work, when Shuggy was first published, it was published the week before the pandemic and all the bookstores closed. So in a way, I actually was grieving him a little bit uh, at the beginning because he seemed like he would be swallowed by global events. And it was only really when Shuggy started to make the National Book Award long list and the Booker long list that he had a little bit of a revenant moment. But even all the wonderful things that have followed uh, on from then have felt a little surreal because I haven't been able to see my family or friends or, or in fact, get back to the city that Shuggy is set in. Yes, yeah, so Glasgow is, is a character as well as the other two characters who we'll come on to talk about in a minute. But Glasgow is huge in this story, isn't it? It is. And I think it's just a city that gave me so much inspiration. Uh, I'm proud to be Glaswegian, even when my childhood was difficult at times. I'm still proud uh, to be Glaswegian. And, and I think of Shuggy almost as a love letter to Glasgow. You know, it's not always a flattering love letter. Glaswegians don't stand to be falsely flattered. Uh, we would rather you just told us exactly what it was and tell us uh, directly. But Glasgow is certainly the backdrop for, for Shuggy and Agnes's love. And Shuggy Bay in the books is the foothill at the bottom of some really giants of Scottish literature. Uh, but those books, uh, when I think about Welsh or I think about Kelman or I think about Grey, often focus on men on the post-industrial landscape and, and men suffering with addiction. And I had wanted to really frame a woman, a mother, uh, and a young queer boy in that in that narrative because uh, I felt like it was really overlooked. And very much both Chuggy and Agnes, they they are separate but apart, aren't they? I mean, their love for each other is so intense. And what I think is one of the many things that are extraordinary about the book is that neither of them feel any shame. That's right. And Agnes, actually, her rejection of shame is something that drives her further into isolation. Because, as you said, she's a very complex character. She is glorious against the sort of the greys of the tenements. But she's brilliant. She's loving. She's determined. She's a little bit calamitous. Uh, uh, and she's seen often in the book as being too much. Uh, her mother tells her she's too much, that she should want less that she should tamp it down. And she's not too much at all. She's just the world around her is almost not enough for her. But Agnes uh, has takes ultimate pride in her appearance and how she presents herself, how she hones her dialect to almost sound uh, a little better than, than her surroundings sometimes. And that uh, sets her up in opposition to a lot of people around her because, of course, when we see someone affecting airs and graces, some of her natural desire is to pull that person down to their natural level. And Agnes suffers from that in the community. But Shuggy is also othered quite quickly mm. 
um, he has no, he's a very young child and he has no sense of his own sex or sexuality. But even people within his family just say, oh, you are no right. What he's saying last weekend is you're no right. You're wrong. What, what is it about you? And in a way, um, he's a very effeminate, precocious, sensitive child. Um, and that is a threat to masculinity at the time. Yes, well, they, you do feel that they are both, they are both there. Um, and that Agnes's, um, your details about, say, her, the way she dresses um, and the way she drinks. I mean, your details about a woman going through alcoholism, living with alcoholism, which in the end kills her, mm. are so precise. I mean, how much of it is autobiographical? Well, I would say it was, it's a work of fiction, but I always uh, say that I am the queer son of a single mother who lost her own battle with addiction. And so my own mother drank from my very earliest memories up until I lost her at 16 when I was at school one day, Rosie. And um, it wasn't that there was alcohol in the house every single day, but we either lived in fear of it or we lived in regret because we'd passed through it. And I certainly understand that sort of terrorism that comes with when you love a parent that's suffering uh, with addiction because you never quite know what you're coming home to. And you can leave in the morning and it can be a wonderful day and you can come home in the afternoon and everything's uh, gone terribly wrong. And so I write from the inside of those feelings, what it means to love and lose the person you love most in the world means the most to you. But when I sat down to write the book, it could never be a memoir because I understood the social time to be far too complex. And also really what it means to suffer from addiction, to be far too complex, to tell it from the lens of only one little boy. Mm -hmm. What I goes through is too momentous. And so I wanted to, the characters, as soon as they came on the page, dwarfed my own experience. And the book goes back to the 40s, 1940s, and up to the 1990s. And so I could never have been in all those rooms. And I wanted the characters to tell you what it meant because there was too many important things happening in Glasgow at the time. So one of the things, I mean, one of the main things that's going on all through is the sort of grinding effects of poverty. And I mean, things that I didn't know, you know, about how you could get money on Tuesday and then money again on a Friday. And, you know, as you say, normally when you read a lot of Scottish writers, it's about the blokes going off down the pub with that money. But in fact, Agnes is, of course, very hypnotized by trying to get to the off license or whatever her equivalent is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it was growing up uh, on I was raised myself on government benefits and I wanted the reader with actually not having any idea who the reader would be, Rosie, I wanted them to be in the room as much as possible. Yeah. I didn't want them to be able to do a drive-by and gop at this life and then go back to whatever consumed them in their own lives. If we were going to meet Agnes, we were going to sit with her, but there is an industry around poverty. There's ways that people exploit people who are poor, uh, clothing catalogs mm -hmm. or having to rent television as we did in the, as a child, as opposed to just buying your own television set. And it, of course, there's strategies that keep you in penury. Um, but Agnes is dependent on the social fabric. And it was a strong social fabric at the time uh, in the 70s and the 80s. We did look out for one another. And, and as well as the, the Bain family really suffering at that moment, people are suffering around them. I didn't want it to be this locked room drama where it's just one woman that's disintegrating because actually that wasn't true um there were so many uh suffering in glasgow at the time and so yes well the, your characters that you have around agnes are all brilliant and i mean what's what's amazing about the book is that it's while it's sad it is also completely joyous mm. about human courage 
mm. and getting on with things. And that's the most, I'm sure that's why everyone across the world just so loves Shaggy Bane, because you're rooting for Agnes and you're rooting for you. But you also, there's never a moment it feels that you're asking people to feel sorry for you. That's, well, thank you so much for saying that. I think that's life and that's the Glaswegian spirit. Sometimes, you know, first of all, it's a joy to write a working class story because you get to listen to a whole chorus of characters because people are going through the same thing at the same time. It's not mm. about just one individual. Um, it's about really a city. And, you know, the Glaswegian spirit puts very opposing things next to each other. It puts incredible violence with tenderness and sadness with humor. And I wanted to create in every single chapter just an abundance of that humanity. I wanted to, to cram it in. But it is about people hoping and being resilient and coming back every single day and trying again and through it all loving each other. And I think that's the thing that readers have been able to connect with is the love and the hope and the resilience at the, at the heart of it rather than the themes that, that get swept up in the narrative. And that you tell a very good story that I've read or heard you say about when your own mother would be spiraling off that one of the things you would suggest was that you took down her memoir. Mm. And what That's happened? Mm. You know, when you're a child of a parent who is suffering with addiction, you learn all kinds of tricks and strategies to make them less sad, to keep them in the room with you, to stop them harming themselves, whatever it is. And I think especially when it's your mother, you really want to take care of not only her spirit, but her body too. You want to really look after her as a young boy. And I learned when I was about seven or eight that one of the ways I could keep my mother's attention focused on me is if I wrote her memoirs and asked her just to tell her my story. She, was, she felt very much like a woman that was overlooked by society. And sure, you know, history doesn't talk much about working class Glaswegian mothers. And certainly when they're suffering from addiction, we don't like a society to look. And so my mother would tell me her memoirs, but because she was drinking, she'd never get very far. But she always started with the dedication every single time without, without fail. And it was always to Elizabeth Taylor, who knows nothing about love. And that was remarkable to me. Here's this woman sitting, you know, in the East End of Glasgow telling this Hollywood star. But as an adult, I came to realize that Elizabeth Taylor embodied everything about my mother that my mother admired, you know? She was, Elizabeth Taylor was never a meek character. She was mm -hmm. always very determined and strong and vibrant. And she celebrated love and losing love and she drank quite heavily too. And then here was my mother in Glasgow doing exactly the same things and being punished for it. And so there was this sort of, uh, just this contrast of differences, I guess. And before we go, because I can see we're going to run out of time quite soon. The, <laughs> the men, the male characters, I mean, some of them, your brother, for instance, in the book, um, I mean, they, they are very varied lot, your men. Mm. It, was a time, it was a time of great narrowness for men. And I think yeah. we, see, we see ramifications of that today. It was not a time where men could talk about their feelings or have any form of self-expression. You had to be hard working, hard loving, hard drinking and hard with your fists. And that has effects on everyone in the book. That comes down quite firmly in misogyny. It comes into homophobia as well. But there are two heterosexual men in the book that I think transcend it. And they're there for contrast. And one of them is Agnes's father, mm -hmm. who is actually a very big man, but he's incredibly gentle and adores his daughter above anything, mm -hmm. even though he does some things to try and correct her behavior. And then there's Shuggy's older brother, Leek, who is my favorite character in the book, yeah. who's a very gentle, sensitive, artistic young man 
who makes the biggest sacrifice in honor of his mother and his younger brother and doesn't tell anyone about it. And so he's so giving as well. And and I, I wanted to create these two men as sort of against bright things against the landscape, I suppose. Yeah, no, I think that, that that's really interesting, you know, the fact that you say that men at that period, and to still to some extent, when you see the kind of hostile men's movements, have got trapped in very weird structures of masculinity, and they're very, they are very destructive, what they're in. Um, but so has Shaggy, has it changed your life? <laughs> I think I think back to the first question. I think it's trying to change my life, but right now I'm stuck on the sofa, and, uh, <laughs> and so it hasn't physically changed my life. But uh, as you as you said, I was a fashion designer. I spent uh, twenty years uh, actually managing quite large fashion brands in America, but I'd always wanted to be a writer. It was just never seen as a something a young boy like me should do, um, and that's how I went into textiles, Rosie, which then blossomed into fashion. And so in a way, publishing Shuggy has been about a dream furloughed for me. And I'm so grateful to be here in this moment. And I'm trying to make the, the, the pivot to writing full time. Um, and you've got another book coming out, though, I hear quite soon. I do. I hope so. Hopefully it's going to come out in uh, spring next year. Um, it's called Lock Or. It is called Lock Or. Yeah. So great name. <laughs> so I love it too. Yeah, yeah, sorry. And and we know because when we were chatting before we went on air that you're about to have a film soon of Shaggy Bane and it's going to be directed by Stephen Daldry, who in fact held up your script that you've written, which is, it will make the most wonderful film. Um, I think the role of Agnes will be a role that um, actors fight over because you could not have made a more complex, lovable, vibrant, just truly wonderful character. And Douglas, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And for anyone who has not read this book yet, go and get it. I, it is stunning. And it will leave you moved and informed and just uh, slightly blown away. So well done and thank you very much. And back to you, Daisy. <laughs>